Hello, everybody, and welcome to another edition of the TSC podcast. And this week, we're going to talk about the making of the song Born to be Free. Yeah, so here we are, and uh, it's uh, Tony here with the TSC podcast. Joining me are Stuart Glanville. Hello, Stuart. How are you today? I'm very well, actually. Very well, indeed. Brilliant. And where are you? That looks very sunny. I am by the coast in Dorset on the Jurassic Coast, and beautiful. it is beautiful down here. Yeah. And uh, that's where course, dinosaurs belong. That's, that is correct. <laughs> <laughs> and Job Bicknell's joining me from sunny Hazelmere. I assume it's sunny. Um. It's at the moment, yeah, but I've got a giant tree in my front garden, so it's blocking out all the lights, so I'm not actually sure. Anyway, it's nice to see you guys. Nice to see everybody. So, um, yeah, so we're carrying on this series where we do a quick podcast and we talk about the songs um, that appear on our debut album, Where Are the Angels, and who the hell thought of them, and how come we decided to record them and what they're all about. So, anyway, um, I'm going to let Stuart actually kick this off, because... um, who wrote the track um, Born to be Free, Stuart? Well, I'm guilty as charged, I'm afraid. Um, although I do have to acknowledge that um, an, an old band I was in years ago, um, my songwriting partner back then was a guitarist and clever guy, good, good songwriter, and he came up with a couple of chords, for, and it, but it was just a, a germ of an idea. Then he went on holiday, um, and over the period of the week or so he was on holiday, I just wrote it. I, t- I, I, I think he kind of wrote a bit of the chorus you know chords and that was it and there's nothing else it was it was a real germ of an idea and then i just turned it into really the the one of the first songs i'd fully written music and lyrics i guess and that was back in god 1989 i think it was originally but it was a very different song to the one it is now did you write the music did you write the music and the lyrics to the song yes i did um i'd started off with basically it, it, this was quite an easy song because the the chorus was straightforward. I added a, a few bits to to his couple of chords that he'd come up with, and the melody came straight away. And I was at the time I was always going into falsetto halfway through my choruses, and it, it was a really easy melody. It just came straight away. The 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 verses were much harder, um, but I say much harder. They they weren't hard, but but they, they took a little, little longer to come. But yeah, I basically. Um, had the lyrics, some of the lyrics were written and the chorus came quickly. The The verse lyrics weren't written and I, I wrote those after I'd come up with a few chords for the verses. So yeah, that was it really. So the demo the demo that you sent over before I did the production on it that actually had keyboards and synths, I mean, did you write it on guitar first of all or was it written you know, with uh, with your fellow keyboard players sitting there working it out together? No, no, it was written on guitar totally by me, and I took it to the band we and the keyboard player in the band, who was the guitarist's uh, brother. Yeah, he, he they came up with you know the ad, added bits and the bassist at the time, who was a great guy, and and he could actually play bass, unlike John. Um, so, <laughs> no, you couldn't. He wasn't as good as John, but anyway, and and he. He basically uh, was instructed on what to play on bass by by the guitarist as well. So, yeah. so but yeah, the song's written. The idea came from me. So, 
Yeah. Did you ever play it live with your band Pillow Finds Back? Yeah, we did. Yeah, not very often. It's one of the songs we didn't do live very often because I think um, guitarist Tim didn't really like it. And I think probably because it he didn't write it. Because I remember him coming back from holiday and I said, I've finished that song. And he said, what? I said, I've finished it. It's done. I said, really? I said, yeah, yeah. And it, what's it called? Born to be Free. Oh, okay, let's have a listen. Uh, he, he liked it, but it, I think because it didn't come from him, I think he was a bit miffed that I'd taken an idea and made, turned it into a song. But anyway, we did play it live once or twice, but not very often. What was the lyric all about? Um, you know, the meaning, the, yeah. the symbolism behind it. Yeah. It, um, at the time, I'd, I'd just been reading this book called the, the Silent Spring, which is one of the first sort of eco books, you know, years ago. I, I think it was a, a book from the 60s even, and I'd just picked up an old copy of it somewhere. And I was quite getting into, you know, that that type of thing. And I wanted to write something about a man's kind of relationship with nature and the world around us. And so it was quite a naive lyric because I was a lot younger then. <laughs> um, but yeah, that that's really where it came from was it was I wanted to write something that dealt with man's place in the in in the natural world, not the fact that, you know, we're not we might be the dominant race in many ways on the planet, but we're not in control. That was really it. Oh, this is quite quite relevant if you think today just stop oil or whatever these protests are. I yeah. Mean, you wrote it in the eighties and now we've come like full circle and everyone's worried about the environment and the planet. And of course, as most people know, it's us humans that are destroying it. Um, whether it be through deforestation or God knows what else. So yeah. um, maybe it has a has a relevance to, to, to even more so today. I, I think it does. And that's why when we looked at songs for the album, and I, I put it forward purely on that basis because I knew going back that, yes, it's an old song, but um, it was the to get that song and um, another one called Pandora, which we'll come to next, I think. Those two songs were obvious candidates and Born to be Free was crying out to be arranged and produced by someone who, you know, knew what they were doing. And it, as it turned out... But I, then it, Tony did it. But then Tony did it, yeah. But, <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah. So it was crying out for it. And it, as you say, it was a really, it's a really relevant message to today, and more so today than it was in, in 1989, 1990, really, to be honest. I remember you played it. I came and visited you sometime before COVID. And I remember that I sat in your living room and we listened to a couple of songs. The first time I've heard any of the songs that you recorded or wrote with mm. Pillow Fights Back. And mm. I remember this song particularly because when it came around again um, and you sent another demo, I instantly recognized it. And actually, I think back then, three years ago, when I came to visit you, you said, yeah, yeah, I think I'd like to re-record this or I'd like to do yeah. this song again. Um, and uh, yeah, um, it was Absolutely. a great song. Yeah, it was one that um, we never really did it justice back then. And as I say, it never got its way into the live set very often. Um, it was a very rough recording. I think we did it at CTS Studios in Wembley, but it was it was it was done quite quickly, and it, we didn't give it enough no. care and attention. But there we go. But what, we have to when did you first hear the song, John? When did you first hear the song? I remember. I remember Stuart sending over the demo. Oh God, it must have been two years ago now, at least. Uh, and I immediately connected with it because to me it was just uh, it had a little bit of an 80s kind of synth pop feel to it the way it was done on the demo 
but I could hear I could hear real pop music in there. I could hear real hooks, uh, and um, and and this this could be uh, uh, my immediate thought was, and I'm I'm pretty sure I did send you a reference song for this one, Tony. Did you? I'm pretty sure I did. Um, which was uh, it, it? It really reminded me of sowing the seeds of love. Oh, I remember now. Yeah, yeah I remember now. Yeah. yeah, yeah. The Tears for Fears song, sowing the seeds of love, and I thought because because the demo had all those hooks, it had all those like air uh, sections where you could have jangly guitars, had the sections where you could have the McCartney bass lines. You know, like in the bridges, I do all the McCartney stuff on the bass. Um, uh, and then you've got the the, the the kind of pre-chorus bit where it goes really quiet and you hear a lot of space around, which I thought was really kind of psychedelic and spacey. And then we go into the chorus, which I honestly, uh, I thought it was an XTC song. You know, and it needed that kind of treatment with that kind of laid back bass, mm. especially after I heard your um, guitar parts on it, Tony. Yeah, because you did all that dreamy guitar stuff with the delay on it, and I thought, yeah, this is this has got to be a sowing the seeds of love type, a kind of you know a song about, and because it's called Born to Be Free, it kind of follows the same thing, you know, like live your life, do what you need to do. You're very short time here. Um, this, you know, this is not how, how it's mm. supposed to be. We all need, we were all born to be free. You know, I read the Joy Adamson book back in the day, oh, yeah. you know, um, about the lions and all that. Uh, and it, it just seemed to me to be a really good message, which yeah. I think sowing the seeds of love was as well. Um, mm. that's good. That's a good, good point. Yeah. So, so it kind of gave me the, the whole song with all its different sections, which is just a bit like uh, if you listen to Sowing the Seeds of Love, there's, there's about seven or eight different sections in it. Yeah, um, the, first thing, the first thing that really hit me, I really liked the chorus. And that was yeah. the first thing I heard. And that's a thing. Like, yeah. I don't know how Stuart did it, but it starts off with the, and then it suddenly almost goes into falsetto at the end. That's right, um, yeah. And it sings like a bird over sea. And then yeah, how did he do that? No, it it, it oh, felt that, like the right thing to good. do to just lift it an octave into into my head voice, and um, so I did. So, so it lifts an octave on bird over sea, and then uh, I, my my our lives are filled with a longing to be the next line. I quite like that melody in that bit; it's quite nice. So I kept the lyrics exactly the same in the choruses, but I did rewrite the verse lyrics for our for that's for Marto effects purposes because. It needed a bit more. It wasn't quite. It was. It was very naive. The, the original version, and I just rewrote it. I rewrote the verses too, and I'm really pleased with how they came out because they, they're updated and they just sound more relevant now than they did back then. So Absolutely. yeah, that's how it worked. I was really, I was really hooked into the urgency actually. That um, though obviously looking back on the entire album, I do remember I, when the first time I heard the vocal, um, there seemed to be a little bit of urgency in the first verse. So I think that slightly influenced my approach to writing the song, but. And that that I really liked because mm. I think probably on the album it's one of the few songs where you do have that urgency in your voice. You know, you're really yeah. pushing the verses along, and then the nice contrast is you're pushing the the verse along, and it comes to the chorus, and then there's sort of like this sort of majestic, sort of floating, sort of airy quality to it. I don't know whether you deliberately did that. Or... No, I didn't. Um, I didn't at all. Um, the the I remember the some of the lyrics in the first verse. The original lyrics were quite um, 
uh, all about you know it was all about stuff like walking on an island and, and things like that and i just thought it was all a bit a bit naive so i i changed it to you know the green fields around you and everything and green fields and fold you and that sort of thing so i wanted to get oh that's interesting even, you even changed the lyrics to nature really. yeah yeah did yeah it was it was very oh, different yeah. lyric but anyway it worked out worked out well tony i've got a question for you mate yeah go um, on far away uh how did you come up with the uh seagull guitar sound on the oh. choruses well that was um because that, that, cool. that was a golden touch that really makes it well, that was Stuart's idea. That was nothing to do. Oh, with that was it. That was him again, wasn't it? Yeah, it was. Him well, again, tell you what it was. I think it was this. Bloody creative Sorry to, <laughs> sorry to jump in, but you might recall on one of our old our old versions of our old uh, songs that Somato effect when we when we recorded that song years ago. I was playing some lead guitar over the end choruses, and it was all a bit similar to that. And I remember saying to you, Tony, why don't we make that sound like that old? song of ours and you can just take it away and make it sound even better with your guitar skills which are superior to mine and and you did and i think that's where it came from because we definitely had those yeah, really weird yeah, sort of yeah. noises over the original I've version got, of that's for make, make it yeah making the connection now. yeah 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 you're right that was that yellow washburn that I think you used to gig with. Uh, you put this oh, hideous, distant-looking yeah. guitar. It was uh, and a, had a rosewood neck. And I remember, and you played that. All the gigs we played, um, you used to play yellow. something. Yeah, I, that's right. I think I don't know whoever ever was mixing for us. I think we paid him 50 quid to make sure it was turned down. Yeah, yeah, it needed to be. It was. I was never a guitar player. Just about strums and chords, but that's all I need to do, really. Well, there was a there was a confession about the end of that song. I, I'm going to talk about um, okay. bore everyone to death, but I mean basically how I approach producing the song because it's yeah. quite interesting actually. But going back to the guitar, as I have to admit, it wasn't a guitar at all. I tried to play it on guitar, and uh, my guitar skills are not brilliant. Um, even though you say that I'm slightly better than yours, Stu, but um, I, I I just couldn't get the sound I wanted to. So um, I loaded up a a, um, uh, a virtual instrument and just took a sort of standard Fender Stratocaster type guitar tone and i ran it through some effects so i actually recorded it actually playing on a midi keyboard oh my so god i played the midi keyboard and i used the pitch bend to get that sort of like extreme sort of almost like wailing because that immediately is, i had the three of us i'm a bloody cheater i had an image of a seagull splitter in cheater it's all sounds at the end of the day. It doesn't matter what it sounds like. Absolutely, um, yeah. Everyone listening to it. So everyone who's listening to this now and bought the album, all 20 of you, and thinking, God, I thought that was a guitar. I feel totally cheated. We will now take your album back. We'll give you a refund if you basically think, obviously, we're cheating. Well, I thought it was a bloody guitar. No, actually, in fact, it was um, it was a MIDI keyboard. But I, 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 I got the sound that I wanted. I think it was important to get that pitch bend. And it was really important to get that sort of like, you know, almost that squealing sort of like screaming of a seagull. And uh, yeah. yeah, that's exactly what I did. Yeah, and it worked. Yeah, the, you the, honestly the, the couldn't tell it's not a guitar. You really couldn't. It really sounds like a guitar, doesn't it? Yeah, well, um, we've really I, well, yeah, I'm sure no one's going to watch this. So if they do, um, anyone who yeah, listens to it on Spotify would probably think, what a great piece of guitar playing. Yeah, and, but you know, if if people actually knew the fact that you played the lo the last note of chat uh, Pandora on bass, they probably would hate that track, wouldn't they? Yeah, that was expediency. That was just obviously I'm um, getting the job done. Sorry about that, John. You're never going to forgive me, are you? For no, one no. The, there's the one note on there's one note on the album that I don't play, and I, it kind of bugs me. You're you're stealing the um you're stealing the thunder from the Pandora um podcast now. 
no but what i wanted to say was the uh, the i remember i got the track from 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 Stu, and originally i tried to faithfully uh reproduce it so i was putting in all these keyboard textures especially in the verse and i was trying to copy um if you like the um uh, the format the original demo that came over because it was heavy synth based yeah it was like 80s pop synth um and i remember there was even well, there was a guitar solo as well wasn't there yes there was actually mm. a guitar solo like a break so I spent time working out the structure of the song. I, I remember actually um, um, sorting out the structure of the song. And then I'd recorded a lot of stuff like Angels and I Can See Your Face. And I was working on other bits. And I just thought, it's funny Stuart mentioned about competency on guitar. Because I thought, I'm a pretty poor guitarist. And I want to challenge myself. I want to record something just completely with guitars. I'm not going to touch a keyboard. I'm not going to touch a piano. I'm not going to touch a synth. So then after spending about two weeks trying to come up with various keyboard patches and, you know, reproduce what what the demo was telling me to reproduce i just threw all that away i started again and i started to record on guitar so um some of the melodies um that i heard or the melody the keyboard was playing on the demo i just re-recreated it and wrote it on guitar and then recorded it and the same was with the choruses as well and um and the um the middle eight section um where um I spent quite a lot of time actually working out the guitar parts. So I have basically two guitar parts with counter melodies, and there's actually four guitar guitar parts playing that middle eight section. So um, that that's how I approached it, and I thought, yeah, it was a bit of a challenge, and I was quite happy that the way that it all turned out. And then one of the other questions I was going to come on up to, I think we'd all listened to the demo, we'd all said, yeah, we're happy with this, and then we got a messenger um, 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 chat from Stuart saying, yeah, I've got some different ideas for the ending. And the ending changed completely. I think actually I'd finished the production, I'd recorded all the guitars, and I think I'd even mixed it. And then suddenly, Stuart, you came up with the ideas that we needed a different ending. Dead song. Did I? No, no. I sorry, I, I really. Yeah, I did. Remember that? Yeah, I did. Yeah, I did. Born, born to be free. Yeah, it definitely had um, a guitar-based ending, and I had some guitar solos. And basically, I think it was just the chorus repeating itself. Um, and I don't know what we were doing at the time. I think actually we'd recorded a few demos of I Can See Your Face, and I think Stuart mm. might have been inspired and said, yeah, let's do some more of those orchestral elements. So I completely, yeah, right. I completely rewrote right. the, last, right. um, the last three choruses, and then actually I'm glad I did because... Um, I, uh, I, yeah, I'm sorry, I'm, I'm very, very slow on the uptake, but I, I know exactly what mean now i've yeah. got the, i've got the demo i've got the I've and of got course that, that, that piece that piece of music i use for the podcast introduction it's probably yeah it's yeah. one of my favorite it's one of my favorite pieces that almost happened by accident so then i then wrote the strings um and then we re-recorded it and then i think the bird guitar came on top of that at the same time but mm. uh yeah so that was that was my approach i wanted it to be to be a complete guitar piece but it wasn't quite in the end but i'm still happy with some of the um I'm happy with the second verse. I really like the counter guitar and the tones that I got in the second verse um, mm. because I thought I got to play something different here. Um, and then I think there's like a there's like a call and response system between two different types of guitars. Um, and of course, I came up with the introduction with the um, no, I didn't actually come up with that. That was where are the angels? But um, yeah, I was really happy with the guitar work that I did, and uh, it changed at the end. You the know, second verse, the second verse picked up anyway. Uh, naturally, uh, from the very beginning, I mean, from the time I heard the demo, the, the second verse picked up, which is why I do the walking bass line throughout that second verse. Yeah. I mean, uh, it, it really picks up on the bass. And I thought, you know, if I'm going to do 
um, the Beatles, and if I'm going to do um, XTC, I might just as well stick some stranglers in as well. So that's what I, that's basically what I did on the second verse. No, I, I remember. I remember listening to the uh, when you sent the bass stems over the original ones. Um, I I, uh, I was quite surprised actually because it seemed pretty. Um, what can I say? It you you played within yourself. You know, you, you have this simple bass line that's chugging along in the verse, and then when we get to the pre-chorus and the chorus, then you start doing your sort of typical what I call typical John Bicknell melodic um, bass runs. But um, when I first heard the bass tone, when I first heard the bass track, and it was just like one note sort of. I don't want to call it plodding because I'd never want to call your guitar playing plodding, even though, you know, it's... You're, you're yeah, yeah, but that's the way I always start. I mean, I always do a provisional uh, bass line version one and, and then I always improve on it, you know, so uh, I hopefully improve on it. So no, no, uh, um, it was it, it was perfect. Um, And I was really happy it all came together when you add all yeah. the other elements like the guitar and the keyboards. Um. Uh, and I remember actually we got to the um, we got to the middle eight um, because I have this ah another thing I remember was we came out of the middle eight um, and I um, I think I, I created a bit of tension because I can't explain this very well but as it comes out the middle eight there's almost like this bit of tension before it builds and goes into the last chorus and I'm playing yeah. like a um, I don't know what the technical term is but it's slightly off key it's almost like a tension note and um, yeah. I went up to that note. And then I remember when you sent the bass recording back, you, you were just playing the chorus. And I remember, I, I think I had to go back and say, John, this doesn't sound right. You know, we're coming yeah. out and I'm playing this one note where it slightly goes off key. And yeah. then you, you're bending the note. Yeah. You, you're playing, yeah, bending the note. You were playing the original note. I think you had to re record that anyway, didn't you? Yeah, no, I think I did. Yeah. Yeah. I think I was told off and, and I had to uh, <laughs> do, what I, do what I was told by the producer on that one. Well, Absolutely. You know, it all. It all it all turned out for for the um uh, for the best. So and to, the, to, be, to be honest, from the um from the, to the untrained ear, anyone you know any any punter that's bought our stuff and has tuned in and and heard "Born to Be Free" will will be thinking to themselves. Firstly, be thinking, I didn't know Dave Gilmore was playing for that Sumato effect now. <laughs> and um, <laughs> secondly, they'll listen to it. And if I think you you've got to be tone deaf not to realize that the swirling strings at the end the dirty 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 sort of strings at the at the end of the song sound like the sea it's that that was the for me the best part of the whole thing was suddenly i thought oh he's got the sea in there he's got the sea in there this is fantastic yeah, he's got the seagulls he's got the sea he's got well, the i don't know how much influence free. i had in that but yeah. i i think we I think I came back to you, Tony, saying, as you said earlier, let's orchestralize this. Let's make it more orchestral at the end. And I can hear it. Yeah, I can just yeah. hear it. And you just went, oh, okay, yeah, I'll do that. Yeah, boom. And um, I must admit, when I, like I do most things, is that because um, you get quite precious when you sort of write your own stuff, don't you, in production. The first thing I did when I thought, no, oh, God, have I got to make another change? So just for a split second, mm -hmm. I just thought, more work. I thought we'd finish that track. I thought that was in the can. And then I realized that we had to, but thank God we did because it was the right thing to do. Mm, and I think yeah. that's how we all kind of work together is that, you know, we all have our own ideas, but bouncing them off each other. I, I think the end song is obviously the winner at the end of the day. But mm, yeah, I remember, um, I remember actually writing the um, the orchestral pieces and it was, I, I, one of them just playing a simple octave. I'm just playing a, a simple octave riff. I think it's called ostinata or something. I don't know what it's called in classical terms. But um, I thought, yeah, okay, we're going to do that. I'll have this going left and that going right. Um, and again, there's this like call and response between the two synth parts. So maybe that gives the impression of movement because 
if you're listening to the left and right of the stereo field, you've got this kind of you know different type of synth sounds coming in and out, and it gives this kind of bit of movement between the whole piece. Yeah, but, yeah. I mean, I've, I've I remember we did that video with Smudge, and we were asked to you know say what our favorite songs was. I mean, this probably is very, you know, I know I said I can mm. see your face and I don't want to get into that argument again, but I mean, this is probably right up there with one of my favorite songs on the album. Uh, I don't know why. I love the vocal performance. I love the urgency in the vocal. And I, th- I think I, it was my favorite, wasn't it? I yeah, think it it's, uh, yeah, yeah. Because uh, it, 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 after yeah. Pandora, it kind of swapped places. Pandora was my favorite. Yeah. And now Born to Be Free is my favorite. And I, I, lo- I love the range about of this song. song. Sorry, sorry, sorry. Strange thing about this song is that the the best reference I can give it is my brother, who back in the day used to, used to do lighting, used to do lighting for us at some of the gigs, because he always needed somebody to to light light your stuff rather than let the house guys do it. So he was very familiar with our music and our stuff. And his favourite song back in the, those days was always "Born to Be Free," and he, he was always saying to me, "Why don't you play it more?" Anyway. This time around, when we redid it, I I said to him, "Oh, Alex, I've done. Um, we're doing Born to Be Free. I'm, we've re- I've rearranged it, rewritten. I've rewritten some of the words, and we're doing it again." He said, "Oh yeah, looking forward to that." When I played it to him, he just came back to me with a simple comment, which was just brilliant. You've done it justice. Finally, you've done it justice. And that says it all for me. That that's kind of yeah. Even yeah, it, you I, know, I, he's, I he's a good critic, and he and he just came back and said, "This is this is where it always was. It always should have been here." So yeah, I met Alex. I met Alex very just once. Did you? I met Alex once when uh, me, you, and Tony went up to your parents' garage to get some amp or something. Oh yeah. And 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 he was there uh, oh, taking, right. taking the taking the piss out of you, basically. Yeah. So uh, uh, hi, Alex. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know whether I don't know whether he listens to these, but yeah. Anyway, so that's it. That's really sums it up and and summarizes what an achievement we've you know we made with this song in in terms of doing it justice because the original version just didn't so that's great no i just wanted to say i like i like the um um i think it encompasses all our music it has everything in there it's got a bit of guitar mm. it's got fantastic vocals it's got average bass playing no i'm joking it's got really good bass playing. it's got really good bass playing um the song is solid um it's got an instrumental section that you know i like it's got mm. a fantastic ending and the lyrics, obviously, well, all our lyrics, you know, we never write lyrics about boy meets girl and, you know, and sort of let's grow a beard and form a heavy rock band, is it? I mean, you know, it's all, it's all, all meaningful stuff. So, um, although, one, one, one or two uh, occasions. Yeah, changing we'll be... the subject. I saw, I saw a post, John, you put on Facebook about you used to play, play in a ZZ Top tribute band. I'd that's love right. to hear some stuff or see a video if that's around. I don't know. I, I know that it was videoed and uh, it was taped, but uh, thankfully no one's come forward with it yet. Did you? I can just see you. Can you just see me? I mean, it was bad enough. I, I mean, there was that picture of me on stage with this beard, but it, I, I needed to sing backing vocals, so I had the beard over my nose. Oh, no. It was like it was. sticking out horizontally from my nose. But uh, now that was just a charity gig. We did that for a laugh. You know, I think we only did. No, the the, the everything about that song um, um, hits um, hits all the all the spots for me. Yeah, mm-hmm. um, it was quite tricky um, for me to mix all the guitars because I'm always fussy about guitar tones and do they sound crap? And um, I remember I spent ages just trying to get the right guitar tones 
I ended up recording the sections because I recorded it and I tried to mix it and I just thought, no, that doesn't sound good. I'm just going to have to record it again. It was just my crap playing that was making it sound bad, not anything to do with the effects. Um, it was just, you know, technically I just wasn't doing it. So I did actually record a few parts over and again and again. And even when I was mixing it for the last time, I still wasn't convinced that I was getting the right tone. But yeah, I eventually got in the end. In that chorus, in the chorus of Born to be Free, are you using a kind of Leslie effect on uh, on the keyboards? Because it, it does sound that like it's got that kind of swirling thing. When I listen to it on headphones, it's got the kind of swirly circular thing. Um, so whether that's just a, a trick of your uh, your mixing, I think it's just well, not. I do I do I do a, I do a mix breakdown. I think somewhere in one song, I can. Stuart said. Um, asked me to do, to try out a Leslie cabinet on some kind I of did. organ. There is some organ in the track. Yeah, I did. And I think Stuart said, oh, that would sound great if you actually whacked it through some sort of Leslie cabinet. I might have dug out an emulation because I do have them. It does um, sound like that to me, that of might, course. Be, you can hear, especially on the on the closing choruses, it, you can you can hear the keyboards. They're kind of it was Pandora around your head. Yeah. It was Pandora that oh, we Pandora. originally had a Hammond organ on it. And um, I, I said to you, yeah, why don't we try chucking some Leslie on the Hammond organ in Pandora and I think you you did and, and then you may have used it again for Born to Be or used it in Born to Be Free, but it certainly certainly worked. Whatever however you got I'll have that to sound, check it out. It worked. I'll have to check it out. Of course the only thing about um Born to Be Free was my moment of um you know, I just basically my, my slash moment. There's that link, isn't there, between uh, the two verses at the beginning. Yeah. And I just do that typical sort of you know, Yeah, that's great. <laughs> That's great. I, I, you say slash. Actually, that reminds me more of more of um, uh, yes, lone, owner of a lonely heart. Really, you oh, get that, yeah. where you get that thing in between verses. Owner of a lonely heart. You know, and it gives it all that mm. left right stuff. You know, that's actually true. That's actually true. Yeah, I did. I did actually record two guitars and I panned them left and right. So I played the same thing twice. But an old trick um, everyone knows is that with the second recording, you play the same thing, but you use a slightly different amp with a slightly different tone. So, you know, you'll have sort of like a, you know, like a Marshall stack and, you know, you'll have all your bass and treble and presence. And then maybe you'll take another amp like a Vox AC30 and then you'll play the same thing. And then you, you blend the two together. You obviously yeah. still get the same, the same notes being played, but it gives it a distinctive kind of tone. And that's what I did. Actually, I think one of them, I got a preset. I use a um, piece of software called Amplitude 5 by IK Multimedia and it, I bought something called the Slash Collection which has two marshals which are based on presets and uh, that obviously Slash has designed in cooperation with IK Multimedia and one of them I just think just said Slash Riff or something so I just used that and basically didn't even touch it I just thought yeah that sounds good out, good out of the mm. box yeah oh, that was quite good that's when I thought yeah I can, maybe I can do this guitar stuff you know maybe i can i can bring it off and because i recorded it early on and that gave me the encouragement to go on and record some of the other guitar bits um and yeah there was the um i know i'm completely thinking when i mentioned about this solo um in the original song i think there was a solo wasn't there but i just replaced yep, it with this was. kind of middle eight instrumental bit yeah um, which yeah. um i yeah, remember getting it. the demo and i just thought the guitar solo actually was very good and I thought, well, I'm, I'm, I'm not going to bring be able to bring this off. I mean, what's the point of me learning it note for note? I think your guitarist from Pillow Fights back played it, didn't he? He um, did. He he was a uh, yeah. he was a pretty close to virtuoso musician. He played uh, that you know he, he 
don't want to talk about him particularly, but he he was a, he was an excellent guitarist. He played piano very well, and his bass playing was like Mark King. He was off the scale. I mean, he was something else. He was a very talented musician, but um, bit of a dick as a human, really. But there we are. <laughs> I was going to I was going to talk about some of the vocals on at the on. Um, Born to be free, to be honest, because it's one of the only songs on the album where I over-recorded vocals. I actually came up with stuff, started adding lines in the final choruses, and then on listening to them all, we took them out because I just didn't like them. And I don't often do that, but it, it, it there was in the last choruses there was this refrain going um, over all the chorus, over all the rest of the vocals and all the all the harmonies or whatever in there, double upside down. I had this. Um, line in the background going born to be free um blah 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 i'm not going to sing too much here because it'll put all the punters and listeners off but anyway um yeah so i had all that stuff in i started doing harmonies on it started doubling up and then then i listened back to it and thought oh god it's just too much it's too it doesn't sound it's it's just over egging the pudding completely and I'm, i'm doing what i've I'm, you know, I always told myself not to do, make it simple, less is more, you know, and I'd, I'd gone the other way. So they never made the final mix, as you know. So, but I just no, I can remember that came, quite, that, came, yeah. that, that came late in the day, actually, I think. Because, yeah. um, I mean, most of your sort of vocal um, revisions do actually come sort of quite late on when we're almost <laughs> ready. I invariably get a bit of a message saying, oh, can you drop that? Um, yeah. It was a bit I, like recently. Um, quick, quick plug for the new single, June the 5th, new single, Don't Come Easily, coming out. From that Somato effect, download it. Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, that was a case in point because um, I'd almost sent it off for mastering. In fact, I had sent it off for mastering, and then came a message from you saying, "Yeah, can you take the uh, uh, echo off the vocals?" The most infuriating <laughs> person to work with, I know I am, but like no, but anyone, you are right. You... Well, uh, yeah, I guess well, like anyone, when you, when you've written a song and you've got someone else producing it in in such a good way, you almost it. It inspires me on to the next level of thinking. Well, God, he's he's just done such a job on this that I want. And I listen back to it and listen to what I've done and think: is there is there any vocal clashing with anything else? And in that case, there was. And I'm just like, that's got to go. I don't, I don't, you know, I want the song to be absolutely bang on right musically as well as lyrically and vocally. And that's simply what it was. It, I just heard clashes and I thought, no, nah, that's got to go. So, yeah. no, you're absolutely. Me, I mean, uh, sorry, Tony. Go ahead. Um, I found it uh, quite an education working with you blokes uh, on this album because, uh, you know, I grew up with playing in live bands, playing in punk bands, playing in power pop bands. I mean, timing didn't matter that much, nor did precision. What timing? But, uh, well, not not so much timing. I mean, I've always had good timing. Yeah, I know. Stop. Yeah, I should have got that. Um but, uh, yeah, that's what comedy is all about, isn't it? Timing. Um, oh, can you get him off, Tony? Sorry. I actually do have a button. I can actually keep kick him off. <laughs> such a, he's such a great chap. <laughs> I don't, we're going to keep him on. But, no, I've, I learned, I mean, I was talking to Tony earlier about it. Uh, I've learned a lot of discipline from doing the album, mm-hmm. you know, because I, I, I've, you know, I've been playing bass for 40 years in bands where you're either playing live or you're recording, you know, basically live. And uh, the way we produce this album, you know, every single note, every single nuance, every single sustain on any particular fret 
Tony would pick up if it was wrong, mm. you know, and mm. and he'd get on God to me and say this. This doesn't sound right. And, and I've learned I've learned through recording this album with you guys that uh, in this kind of music that we're playing, precision is everything, you know. Mm. And it's and you know, people say perfection is is not good, but almost perfection is good. Well, I mean, that's, like, that's one of the problems because I, I, when I get the audio, um, I do try and um, do a bit of what's called audio bending or audio editing. So, of course, um, in a live performance, it doesn't have to be exact, almost sort of robotic-like, but um, mm. I, I do have to shift some of your bass notes, John, to make sure they're actually yeah, but that's hitting, hitting the down. Yeah, we, we actually all know, we all know, Tony, that that is actually mainly because I'm so lazy that I record my bass parts in audacity and do it in about three different takes. You know, where, when I, when goes. I, well, it, I try yeah, to get no. them together and, and then Tony Cleet tidies them up. Yeah. Know? But it goes, it goes back to this idea of perfection. It's like, I mean, you can overdo it. And it was interesting what Stuart said about um, throwing lots of ideas at the vocals and then just leaving them out. And that's one thing I learned with the production thing is, is that what, what I tend to do now is throw the kitchen sink at it and as sure as eggs are eggs, you know, that before the end of the song, I'm going to be actually sort of muting a lot of things. In fact, yeah. things that I've written and recorded just get dropped out because they all need to serve the song you know, at the end yeah. of the day. Um, and I remember actually when we recorded Born to be Free and some of the other tracks we've talked about in other podcasts is, you know, keep it simple. And um, it does yeah. really work. Um, and, uh, yeah, I think that's a perfect case in point. I know on this song is that I did actually have to, um, I think I had more of a going on in the verses. I recorded some more keyboard parts, but they, they never made it because it just clouded things up. It just filled the entire, you know, spectrum and yeah. you couldn't really hear any of the individual instruments. Yeah. Talking, talking of perfection and keeping it short and simple. Do you remember that song, Stuart, that you wrote? That when we used to play in 1981, uh, it was called. Um, uh, it was called. Uh, Go for it. I think it was called. No, 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 no. It was called. Um, oh God, yeah. Keep it short. I remember the keep, line with something. Keep it simple. Keep effective. it short, simple, and effective. Yeah, uh, and I remember the, the actual. The actual lyrics went. A lot of people may think. A lot of people may find a musical idea, but. Uh, can't remember it now. No, sorry. I can't. I'm too, I'm too damn but, old. And but the that. the actual end, end of the song was "Keep it short, simple, uh, yeah, okay. effective," and that was uh, it. Was a, a, a one it's, minute song that we recorded. It's actually really hard. I mean, anyone that knows about these things, apart from the geniuses of the world like Paul McCartney and you know the, the, those Tony, guys yeah. anyone will tell you that writing a pop song and recording a pop song is harder than anything else you know it, it's to me much harder than you know um a genesis sort of improvised or a, you know the, in the 70s bands led zeppelin would improvise songs for 20 minutes and all that rubbish you know much much easier to do than writing a really concise three minute pop song that gets everything exactly, across that you yeah. want to say it's the hardest thing in the world and people don't realize it yeah, absolutely think, and when you make I mean, it sound you, simple, you know you've cracked it. You know you've got it. Yeah, like, if you can condense it into less yeah. than three minutes or less than four minutes, uh, that is that is the way to go as far as I'm concerned. You know? I, think, I think we got pretty close to cracking it with Born to be Free, to be honest, in, in terms of... Mm. It's not it, it's not the most catchy song on the album for me, but it is a good... 
it's still a three minute pop song pretty much and it works and we could, and there's there's so much richness in it there's so much diversity in it compared to some of the other songs as a pop song and it starts the light side of the album doesn't it so it's got that it's a great introduction song for the second side almost if you if you're looking at vinyl say it it just works yeah. it, it's perfect and it just picks up where side one ended with um you know with uh, i can see a face which is a melancholy song so it's brilliant 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 piece yeah, of work. I, think, I think born to i think born to be free especially the chorus actually um musically puts across that born to be free our spirits soar like a bird over sea you know i really do feel like i'm a, i'm yeah. soaring above the yeah, ocean when i'm listening to that chorus especially when tony puts his fake seagull guitar in I'm now known as the fake seagull one-note bass player in the. It's not. It, there's yeah. two songs where we've referenced seagulls on this album, guys. You realise? Yeah. Just you know, um, yeah. Jerry Bomb had the seagull at the end, and um, you know, in my silly That's a good sort point, of. Actually. Yeah, I know. Well, there's something about seagulls. Then must be. I love. I love that association. I was really me and the Jurassic Coast. Honestly, that's what it is. Yeah, right, I think today. it is. Must be that. Yeah. I, I remember when putting together the artwork because I, I, it was a really easy. I'm sorry if you heard my watch go off, then it just beeped. But um, yeah, I, I grabbed pictures of seagulls and lighthouses and people on beaches. I mean, it, it just that was the imagery that immediately yeah. ended my mind. It entered my mind. Um, yeah. I think also, sonically, the the song did a hundred percent what I would have hoped it would. It just takes you into that world. It's funny how they've been talking about point. song about nature. I went off to the sea. Um, we could have gone any directions. We could have actually sort of, you know, basically had you know monkeys and apes jumping through deforested um, swathes of jungle. That's um, my next song. Yeah, exactly. But um, I, remember, I remember Stu, you said yeah. recently on a podcast about you've always had this connection with the sea. Yeah, I have. I have. I always have. I, I love being near water, and um, I, you know, it just connects me. And I think. The most important thing I can say about Born to Be Free as a song on the album is it's probably the only song, <coughs> excuse me, where the message of the song, the 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 eco, the green message of the song is completely and utterly supported by the music. You know, yeah, Pandora, yeah. the song we're going to do next, talk about next in the next podcast, is a, is a great pop song, but it could be any subject matter. If you get my drift, the, the lyric yeah. could be any subject matter over that music because it's a lovely poppy song. Born to be Free is slightly different. It's got that the music sounds like the message of the song, and that was it the does. Bit. It yeah. does, and, that, the and there's very, very, very rare to find that in any song by anybody. Mm. Absolutely, where, where you listen to it and you think, you know. The music puts you actually in that place that they're singing about. Yeah, and and I think right. all, all, that situation that they're singing about. And all credit has to go to, to Tony for the production on it because most no, of those no, ideas, no, no, no. although I came yeah, up with a lot yeah. of the ideas, Tony made them happen. So I'm gonna it's I'm gonna Tony's I'm, fault. I'm gonna call him out on this one. It was a it's a brilliant brilliant piece of work. And no, I I enjoy I enjoyed doing it, and I was yeah. I was quite proud of it when um when when we uh, when we finished it. Um, and what I love about all our songs is that, you know, you get a blank sheet of paper when I get the demo, so you never know how it's going to end up. Um, and it's a collaboration effort. And yeah. uh, Everyone uh, throwing their paint on the canvas. Everyone throwing That's their paint on the canvas. We're all bringing our own special talents to the game. And uh, it's fantastic. 
Yeah. Right, so we're almost about 45 minutes up. I don't think we anyone wants to listen to us rabbit on anymore. Um, we mentioned uh, Pandora. We mentioned oh, Pandora, which we'll talk about next. Um, and then we'll actually get on to the songs that were actually written in this decade, probably, rather than sort of like 20 decades ago. <laughs> yeah. The last three songs on the album were, were actually written even probably um, in the 20s, as we call them. Do we call yeah. them the 20s? We don't, we don't call them the noughties, do we? We call them the... Cherry Bomb, Cherry Bomb was only written four years ago. Oh, yeah. That's probably the most recent one we've got on the album, actually. Okay. No, I was just trying to build up... Girl from Dev. Girl from Dev. Of course, I've got. I must remember the girl from Devon, of course. I I noticed Claire's stop walking behind you. She's sunbathing actually at the moment. (laughs) Outside, can you believe? She's probably bored listening to us. Right, guys. So um, that's it for the podcast. Thanks for joining us today. I'll do the professional sort of like um, reel out now. Don't forget, we do have a single coming out on June the fifth called "Don't Come Easily," written by our very own John Bicknell. He wrote the words and the music for this. With collaboration lyrically with Mr. Stuart Glanville who only a little, a little bit of who, help who who once again tidied it up made sense of it rephrased it and made it into the song it is so well, thank you and, that's and what you, I do Tony of course that's exactly what you do and that's exactly what Tony does interpret well, stuff well you I'm know. just going to hit the music and we'll roll out So anyone, anyone, everybody, thanks for listening to the podcast. We'll be back um, maybe in a week's time, maybe a bit longer because we're all taking holidays. And then we're going to talk about the next track that appears on the album, which if I remember rightly is Pandora. So everybody, thanks for watching. Thanks for listening. Goodbye, John. Cheerios. Cheerio, chaps. And we'll see you in the next podcast. Cheers. See you soon, guys. Bye. Bye.